Hello again. I, I don't remember if I introduced myself. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, we're continuing a message series uh, called Identity. And we've been spending the last few weeks talking about that. And I want to just review uh, the definition that we've been working from and then what we've talked about so far in this series. In case you've, you've missed the message, you can catch up. You can also uh, listen online at churchinthevalley.com. If you click on the Alhambra campus, there's a place where you can listen to audio. And you can also subscribe to the podcast if you search for Church in the Valley Alhambra. But here's kind of the... The definition, according to the dictionary of identity, you'll see it up here on the screen. It says who a person is or the qualities of a person or group that makes them uh, different from others. So it's part of like a a defining thing. That's what identity is, something that defines you. We've actually been kind of streamlining our definition a little bit the last few weeks. And we've been kind of working from this definition of identity. It's who you are at the core of your being. It's who I am at the core of my being. It's who you are at the core of your being. And that's, that's our identity. And the idea of identity is as you know, who you are at the core of your being, that actually defines uh, the person that you are. And as the person you are is defined, you actually go in a certain direction. You make certain choices and all this flows out of your identity. And so this is a really important topic because if we want to know where we should head, it's actually linked to our identity. For Christians, this becomes even more crucial because when we decide to follow Christ, and that is for him to lead us, and we make a decision that I'm no longer going to lead my own life, he's going to lead me. And his priorities, God's priorities are going to become my own. When you do that, the Bible says that your identity actually changes The core of who you are is no longer the same than when you were not a Christian. So there's this there's this decision that you make to become a Christian that changes your core identity, which then changes your direction and changes your choices. And so Christianity is so much more than an idea. It's so much more than a label. It actually is speaking to a different direction and you serve a different person, you you begin to serve the Lord Jesus. And so we've been working from that kind of idea of identity and what that means for the Christian life. And if you're not yet a Christian, we hope that this gives you somewhat of a clarified direction of what it means to become a Christian. And here at Church in the Valley, we exist to help people who do not yet know Christ to get to know him. And we exist to help people take a next step in their pursuit of God. And that's why we offer things like advance and journey. And that's why we have groups. And that's why we have preview. We, we want to help people take next steps in their relationship with God. So much more than just what happens on a Sunday morning. We started the series talking about a new view of me. And I just want to review kind of where we've been and becoming a Christian in the scripture. You're actually given a new label. You're, you're born again. And when you're born again and you decide that God is going to lead you, he's your now, he's your spiritual father. And you're in this new family and this new family defines you. And this God that you follow, he now leads you and this leads to a different kind of life. So that's, that's where we started. Last week, I talked about the never fading inheritance and how a new identity gives us a new destiny, kind of a different place that we're heading as somebody born again, somebody who's a child of God. Then I talked about how this new identity 
a new destiny, gives us a new strength that we can actually, from this identity we have, we can face life with hope because God is with us. So all this flows and is connected to when you become a Christian, your identity changes. So today I want to talk about how when you become a Christian, you should expect to be different. Now, different has kind of a different connotation for us, depending on our experience in life. Maybe the worst label you could have ever been given in your life is different. Because oftentimes we think different as being weird. They're different. If you've ever been told that, usually it's not necessarily in the compliment. They're different. They're, they're interesting. If you've been defined as that, you're, what does that mean? You're interesting. Thank you. You don't know if you should thank them. But this idea different in, in the world standards, it's, it's, you're, you kind of, you're not normal. You may not belong. There's something weird about you. Now, certainly people view Christians as that. But in the scripture, it's much more than being strange. Our different is, is actually connected to adopting God and his, you know, when we follow him, we, we become like him. And different in the scripture is, is connected to holiness, not weird or strange, but set apart. So when we talk about living differently, it's actually to live holy. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So there's two things that we should expect to be different. The first is we should expect to live differently. And the second is to love deeply. And we're going to continue in first Peter chapter one, kind of going through this uh, scripture to kind of pull, pull this out. And Peter uh, was one of the disciples that walked with Jesus. He got to see Jesus up close. He got to see the start of Christianity. He was a part of experiencing the grace of God despite, despite his failings. He saw people come to Christ and lives changed, his own life changed. And he has a lot to say about identity. He has a lot to say about what it means to be a child of God. And so his instruction is, is very helpful. And, and we've been walking through 1 Peter 1, and we're going to pick up uh, in this. And so the first thing that a new identity as a, as a Christian, what it brings you is, is the opportunity and the chance to live differently. And I want to read a point in scripture and then and kind of break, break it down of, of what this means. So what does it mean to live differently? Well, this is what Peter has to say. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That reference right there, since it is written, since it's talked about you are supposed to be holy, is actually back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is God leading in the story of him leading the Israelites and him calling them to be his people. For all who decide to follow Christ, you are now his people as well. You are holy. You are set apart. We are a group that are destined to live now for God and, and his purposes. And so I want to walk through the different emphases that, that Peter makes because it actually gives us a description of what it means to live differently. So when we talk about identity, we talk about living differently. Anytime you get into the scripture, the emphasis is to build your categories with knowledge. So you, so you know how to look at things it's to change our perspective, to change our value structure and our priorities. But the emphasis in scripture is not just to know more. 
and not just to have categories of information. The emphasis in the scripture is once we know more and we have the categories and we can see clearly, it's to actually do it. It's what Peter is saying is we are holy. We're supposed to live differently. And this is what it looks like. And he begins with the first point of action. This is what you're supposed to do. And it starts with prepare your mind for action. So if you want to know how a Christian identity makes you live differently, first is you can prepare your mind for action. Now, what does that mean? What it means is we actually choose in life what we think about, what we dwell on. There's thoughts that come to our mind and we have to choose whether we're going to think about that thought or if we're going to fight against that thought. And just because you have the thought doesn't mean that you need to think about it and dwell on it. Right. This is what we face every day. And so when Peter is saying is in the original language, this idea of get to work, you roll your sleeves up in your mind and you think differently. If you want to live differently as a Christian, you have to think differently. That's what he's saying is prepare your mind for action. Roll your sleeves up, get to work, focus your mind on what is true and what is right. And for the Christian, that means what does God's word say? And how do I know that? Why well, I, I spend time in it. And part of me preparing my mind for action is rolling my sleeves up, discovering what God's word says and basing my life on it and living that out. That's how you prepare your mind for action. And then he actually describes further what that looks like. You roll your sleeves up, you get to work, you think about, you filter the thoughts that you have. And then he gives you the how, how you become, you're supposed to be sober minded. I don't know how many of you like use that in a sentence this past week. Hey, like, how are you doing? Are you sober minded this week? Like we don't use that, but what's the opposite of sober? You could say it. It's church, but say it <laughs> drunk, right? We use that word more, hopefully not in your own life. However, that's the opposite of being sober. It's this idea of you're, you're drunk. And so in your thinking and in your mind, there's drunken thoughts that we can have. When you drink and you become drunk, you are impaired. You now don't really have sound judgment in your life. You can't really walk straight, straight. You can't drive straight. You're impaired. You can't really know direction anymore. What Peter is saying is much like the person who intoxicates themselves and is no longer sober and they're, they're drunk. We can intoxicate ourselves with wrong thinking drunken thoughts. And for me in my own life, I just thought, what are the things that tend to kind of make me kind of impaired in my life? See if you can identify some of these. These are some of my own drunken thoughts. I never thought I would say that in a sermon, but you get what I'm saying. Okay. The first is worry. Worry impairs us. Worry causes us to not be able to kind of move forward. What do we worry about? Everything, right? Don't we worry about everything? We worry about the thing that we should have done when we didn't. Then we worry about the thing that we did and we shouldn't have. Then we worry about what our past was. Then we worry about our future. Then we worry about this day and everything we have because we don't know how we're going to accomplish it all. And worry just weighs on us and weighs on us and weighs on us. And we're impaired because we have a weight of worry that we're not supposed to carry. And our thoughts just before we know it, they're just running wild. Another just drunken thought I sometimes have is comparison, comparing myself to somebody else. The scripture just, it's never a good idea to compare yourself. 
But sometimes you compare yourself and I compare myself without even realizing it. Sometimes it's in the positive, like, well, at least I'm not them. You don't have to raise your hand, but have we all done that? Like you're maybe bummed about your life and then you find the one person you're like, they're really messed up. Or you're feeling really bad about yourself and you look around you and you're just like, they did it again. And that person said that they did a good job again. And my boss never says that about me. And you just compare with like a coworker. You compare with somebody in your class that gets a better score on a test than you. You compare to a sibling that you think your parents love better. You compare to, you know, and we just do it positive or negative. It's another thing. It just impairs us. What good does it do to compare? Are you that person? No. In all my life, I have just wasted time comparing. It has never given me an advantage. If you're saying, prepare your mind for action. Be sober. Don't give in to worry. Don't give in to comparison. Another one, fear. Any of you any had a fearful thought in your life? Some of you are even fearful to raise your hand in church. <laughs> if I raise my hand, he's going to call on me and I'm going to be up there. Raise it. Find out. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kidding. Fear. Man, fear messes us up. It messes us up. And it's, it's, it's like worry, but it's, it's even deeper. It's at the core of us. Like we're, we're fearful. Like we're not good enough. We're fearful we're not going to make it. We're fearful we're not going to be able to do what we need to do. We're fearful that we're going to fail. We're, I mean, and it just... In the core of us, we can turn inward and get overwhelmed by fears, the unknown struggles. We get drunk on those uh, greed and discontent. Uh, we get impaired by greed. It's, it's wanting things that we don't have. It could be status. It could be stuff. But we we want things that we don't have. And what happens in our life is is greed and discontent are linked we want things so badly and we don't have them. And then we're discontent because we, we don't have them. And we look and just, why don't I have what that person has? Why, why do I always be the one that just seems like never get the break? And then the more discontent you have, the more you want the things that you don't have. And it feeds the greed. And the greed feeds the discontent. And what Peter is saying is, is you, you've just given yourself and you're intoxicated. You're drunk. Prepare your minds for action. New identity in Christ. You no longer live this way. You prepare your mind for action. You roll up your sleeves and you fight those thoughts. And you be sober-minded. When fear comes, you battle fear. You battle fear with the scripture. And that's how you prepare your mind for action. And the way you can battle fear with the scriptures, you have to know the scripture. And that's how you prepare your mind for action. So Peter's saying, this is part of the identity of who you are in God. You starts at your thought with the things that come into your head. So prepare your minds for action. That's how you live differently. Be sober minded. Just because you have the thought doesn't mean you have to believe it and you have to think it and you have to dwell on it. You actually can fight it. That's what it means to be a Christian. You fight thoughts that aren't true. And then part of how you do that is linked to the next part. You're actually supposed to set your hope on God's grace. That's the next section that Peter says. Set, set your, your hope on God's grace. And this is what's helpful. Because if you set your hope on your own ability to conquer wrong thinking, that's another type of intoxicating thought. 
you're not good enough and you don't have the resources to think differently. You need a source outside of yourself. And that's what Peter's saying is prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope not on yourself, not on anyone else, but on the Lord Jesus who has given you a new birth, who's given you a fresh start. Set your hope on him. So for me, like practically, one of the steps I've been taking is because sometimes I wake up and the day gets away from me and I'm just fighting for the wrong, the, the right thinking. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fighting to, to remember who I am in Christ and what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, one practical thing is sometimes when I wake up, the first thing I do is I reach for my I reach for my Bible every day. No, no, I reach for, <laughs> I reach for my phone. How many of you do that? Any, you, any of you just, you know, your, your phone's by your nightstand. And the first thing you wake up and you reach for it. And maybe you reach for it because like you, you know, you know, you have your Bible plan on your phone. But you know what? I have my Bible plan on my phone and I reach for it. The next thing I know, I've checked my email. I've deleted it. Check news. I'm on social media before I even realized it. Any of you ever done that? I. So some of this is like preparing my mind for action. It's, it's this. What am I focused on? And so when Peter says, set your hope on the grace, it's this idea of when you wake up, may the first thing you do be to turn to God and you just pray, God, I give you today. Thank you for the grace that you've given me this morning. I can face what I have. And know that you will help me. And there's nothing that I'll face today that you're not with me. That's what Peter is saying. That identity that we have in Christ allows us to face each day and reset and focus on Christ and the fact that we don't have to be good enough to change. We don't have to be smart enough and have all the resources and skills. But what we need is the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. So we can be sober-minded and prepare our minds for action by focusing on the hope of that. And the great thing is about the hope in that is that there's nothing we can do that prevents the grace of God because it's rooted in God himself. And then Peter goes further. Once you set your hope on grace, do not conform. This is the idea of don't go back to your old way of thinking. The reason Peter says that it's not automatic. It actually is, again, the rolling up the sleeves. The reason you have to prepare your minds for action is because you're going to have that tendency to want to conform to the former waves of thinking. And he describes it as, you know, leave your passion and your former ignorance. And a little bit later in the passage, he talks about your futile ways. So Peter's just laying it out there before you're a Christian without God, you're ignorant of the hope that you have. You're ignorant of the new life you can have in Christ. Why? Because you don't know it, it exists. You haven't experienced it. So there is this part of your life that you're blind to the things of God because you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't have experience. And so what Peter is saying is don't live as the person who acts like God does not exist in your life. As you set your hope on grace, you don't go back to those previous ways of thinking. You don't go back to those previous ways of living. You're to live differently. And so some of the, the things for me, passions, former ignorance, futile ways, these are some things that have shown up in my life that I've had to battle. 
See if you can identify with any of these. Seeking pleasure outside of a relationship with God. If you've ever gotten your value from someone else's approval of you, that's the former way. That's the ignorance. Nobody can give you value. Only God can do that. He gives you value because he made you. But anytime we look to somebody else to validate who we are, we're living the former way. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, this is one of the prime ways God changes you. You're validated not because of who you are, but because of the fact that God made you and because of who he is. That's a major shift that takes pressure off of your life. So anytime that we look to get validated from others, we're living in the, the former way. Anytime we seek pleasure through an addiction, we're trying to live the former way. Peter's saying is, if this is the life that you're living and you're a Christian, there is no joy in it. There's no joy. We have to move past this. Uh, if you try to earn God's favor by being better. And sometimes you know you're doing this is when you mess up, you beat yourself up. If you sin, how long does it take you to feel okay to approach God again? I know in my own life, I went through periods in my life where I sinned and I sinned again and I sinned again. And it'd be this like weird game that I'd play with God where it's like, well, I can't talk to God yet because I, I don't feel bad enough. You ever done that? I can't talk to God because I need enough time for me to wallow in how miserable and how broken I am. Who am I focusing on? Me. In a way, it's this broken sense of my own worth. I beat myself up because I think I'm better than I am. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. What Peter is saying is when you go back and you're beating yourself up and you're not turning to God because you think you have to pay for your sin. You're living in ignorance. Other ways we do that. We, we live haphazardly without direction. We, we actually have no sense of where God wants to lead us in life. We just live life each day as it comes without direction. This is living in ignorance. God has given us the example of how to live life in each arena of life. How to have this Christian identity in our relationships, how to have a Christian identity in our finances, in our goal setting, in our decision making, in every arena of life that we face. There is a Christian's responsibility to do it in a certain way that pleases God. When we don't seek the Lord in that area, whatever area that is, from our work to our family, we're living in the former way. So what Peter is saying is you prepare your mind for action. You be sober minded. You think the right thought. You set your hope on the grace that will help you do it. And then you do not go back to living life independent from God. And each day you wake up, you have to decide, I will not be independent from you, God. I give my day to you. I surrender to you. And it will be a battle. And after five minutes, you might have to do it again. And after 30 minutes after that, you might have to do it again. And this is what Peter is saying is this is living differently. And then the last emphasis he has in that passage goes back to why. Well, we're supposed to be holy. The reason we're supposed to live differently is because we are different. And we're not different because of anything we've done. We're different now because God lives inside of us. When you become a Christian, you're now connected 
to the kingdom of God. And your loyalty and your identity has changed. And so we're supposed to set ourselves for our purposes. Now, that sounds like that's a lot of work, doesn't it? And it is. But the opposite is just allowing life to come and not do anything about it and just let it just hit us. And we just try to keep our head down and move forward. That, that's no way of life. What Peter is describing here is the greatest adventure anyone could experience. And that's the adventure of living differently with God as our guide. You get to be about, about something and a part of something. That's the greatest thing in the history and in eternity. That's a relationship with God. So that is just the sense of we battle because we're part of this adventure he's called us to. And that's why remembering this identity is, is crucial. So that's, that's what it means to live differently. And, and Peter has described that. Now, he kind of turns the corner. And I'm not going to read these verses because I spent some time on this. But in verses 17 through 21, he connects to why this is helpful. And so this week, if you, if you have a Bible, I encourage you, read 1 Peter 1. Just read the whole chapter and you'll kind of track where we've been talking about so far. If you don't have a Bible, we would love as a church to get you one. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, mark that on your connection card and we will get one to you this week. But it really helps to read it for yourself. In first Peter one, 17 through 21, he now describes how you can be holy, how you can prepare your mind for action. He kind of goes back to how this happens and he talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, what God did and what God initiated so we can live differently because of the new birth and we can have the new birth because of what God did by sending his son, Jesus. So in 17 through 21, Peter describes that. It's like, remember, you're born again. You're a child of God. You can live differently. And then in verses 22, he shifts the gear so you can live differently and then you can love deeply. And these are connected. And this is what it means to have a new identity in Christ. Your life is different, and one of the primary ways it's different is not just in your thoughts, but it's in the actual way that you love people. And when you decide to follow Christ, you now connect to the originator and the creator of love. So your identity changes, and now your stream to love changes. You're now connected to the source. And so the Christian should love deeply and in a way that can't compare it to anyone else outside of a relationship with Jesus. Now, this should be a challenge to us. So in the next few kind of section, this isn't, you never motivate, motivate people by guilt. You can get them to do what they want, but you actually have to change based on your own freedom. There's a part when I read this in my own life where it, it challenges me. And this is what the Bible does. It gives you this, this kind of emphasis and it gives you this trajectory of what your life should be and it should call you forward and it should challenge you. So if you feel challenged, that actually can be a good thing. God wakes us up through the truth of Scripture. And so that's what Peter wants to do. And so he describes how to love deeply and I'm going to read verses 22 through 23. It says, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So it's interesting. He's talking about what you do as an individual in your mind. 
how that translates into your life based on your new identity. And then he links it to the fact that we can do this because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And then Peter shifts to now. So what does that mean as you relate to others? And that's what's so important is the Christian life is not just me and Jesus. I have a relationship with him and it's personal, but it's not private. And what he does as we become Christians, he he puts us in a group of people within the church and this community that we're supposed to accomplish these things together. So his loving deeply, he's not talking just about one person. He's talking about how do we love people deeply in the community that he's put us in. So for the next section, I'm talking about how do we love deeply as people, a part of church in the Valley Alhambra? How, how does that happen? And the first thing is he, he talks about two different kinds of love. The, the first type of love, he talks about sincere love. If you're, you're taking notes in your handout, Underline on the scripture there, it's written out, underline sincere love, okay? That's a type of love that's defined in the New Testament as a brotherly affection. In the New Testament, the word love has actually different definitions. In English, like I love in and out and I love my wife. What does that mean? Right? It's just the same word. Now, you hope one is stronger than the other. I do love my wife more than in and out. Right. But in the New Testament, it's actually defined different with different words. So you get a a kind of a flavor. So this sincere love is talking about this brotherly, like family type love. And I, I kind of infer this as this is the kind of love, how to love deeply that you spend time building relationships. If you want to have a sincere love with people, it means that you have time with them and you make time for them. And Peter's assuming this since you have this sincere love for the brothers, since you have this brotherly affection, this affinity, since you orbit your life around each other. So the assumption is we're spending time together. That's how we love deeply. You ever heard the, 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 the phrase, you know, love is spelled T-I-M-E. You never heard that? It's like one of them, man, that's like growing up in church back in the day. And that could become cliche, like, no, it's not spelled T-I, you know, but it's spelled time. Like you love somebody by the time that you're willing to spend with them. That's really what Peter's saying is, is like you, you would spend time with your family and there's this gathering that you have and you enjoy each other. Now, depending on your family experience, this may be like, that does not happen in my family. But he's just saying, consider you have a great family situation, which you enjoy each other. Peter's saying, this is what needs to be in the church. You love each other deeply and there's time and there's time where you laugh and you enjoy each other. There's time where you catch up. There's time where you're just thinking, how can I get time with that person? I enjoy them and they enjoy me. This is a new identity. You make time to spend with people within the church community because we're a part of God's family. We're not supposed to just see each other like extended family, maybe once a year. And I'd even go further. We're supposed to see each other even more than maybe once a week. In this day, as Christians were interacting with each other, they were in the temple and they were in homes eating together. And then you'd imagine as they're driving, driving, (laughs) can we edit that part out? Just um, as they're traveling together, you know, they're, they're walking long distances. You can imagine just, Hey, like you want to go to, I'm going to go to the market. You want to come Yeah, And they're just walking, getting dirty together, just talking like, you know, on their feet, you know, but 
What's going on in your life? Time. You know, in our, in our context, this actually, it's not normal. Because we're, we're just independent. Peter's saying, like, the sincere love, brotherly affection, orbit around each other. Then he actually goes further to love each other deeply. It's, it's more than the brotherly affection. He changes the definition of love. Uh, I don't think it's on here, but if you go back to the, the passage, if you could put that back on the screen. So the sincere love for your brothers. Then he says, love one another deeply. If you underline that, that's the next type of love. That love, love one another deeply is, is actually from the word agape love, which is God's love that he has for us. And so how to love deeply is more than just a affection and time. This type of love to love one another deeply means that you sacrifice and you stretch for each other. You sacrifice and you, you stretch, you extend for others. You love one another deeply. The word deeply there uh, it has this connotation of earnestly. That's where you get this stretching. How many of you watching the, the Winter Olympics? Okay. I, I, the picture of stretching I have is, is like the ski jump. You seen like, dude, that is. Why do they stretch like that? Because they have to hit the target. They have to land at the exact angle when the time comes. So they're on target. And they're still alive. Now, this is kind of extreme, like you would not catch me ever doing this. But I could do this. This is the stretch I, I may be able to do. Look at this next one curling. <laughs> like I said, I could do that. I don't even know if I could do that. Like I might pull something, right? But they stretch in that position to line it up perfectly. So they hit the target. It's a full extension. What Peter is saying is when you love each other deeply, you're fully extended. You're stretching out to hit the target for the kind of love that God wants us to have. And it's the kind of love that he has for us. It's the picture of Jesus coming to sacrifice for us. He laid his life down for us. And that's the kind of love that he wants us to have for each other. We're willing to lay our lives down for others. And many times in our minds, that, that's extreme. But it's the idea of you're willing to sacrifice your agenda. You're willing to sacrifice your resources. You're willing to sacrifice your time for the sake of others. And your identity, when you become a Christian, is no longer self-centeredness. It's God-centered, and because it's God-centered, because he sacrifices, it becomes other-centered as well. I sacrifice and I extend. So this means when, when needs come up that people have, it's not just can I fit it in. It is I will make it happen. So people have to move you're willing to make it happen. If somebody needs something and you have it, you're willing to give it to them. If somebody is going through something that's a struggle and you're kind of overwhelmed and you just don't know if you have time to help somebody else, you're willing to stop what you're doing, to listen to what somebody has going on in their life. It's more than just this family affection. It's this deeper we sacrifice. If you've had anyone that sacrificed for you, many times you see that in just a parent's role. A parent's supposed to sacrifice for their kids. A husband should sacrifice for his wife. But anytime you've had this sacrificial type of love, 
It leaves an imprint on you. This is what Peter is saying. Christians should be people who are motivated to stretch and sacrifice for those around them. And if you have a group of people that do that, they will experience a radical love, not of this world. And this is what people long for. God made us to experience this love, but outside of a relationship with him, we can't experience it. So when we love and sacrifice, it resonates. That's what Peter is saying. So we're supposed to have a sincere love, but then we're supposed to love each other deeply. We're supposed to extend. And then the last is tied to the, the thought of you love each other deeply from the heart. If you underline from the heart, the idea there is, is you love without strings attached. It means that, that you love and you actually don't expect anything in return. Isn't that living differently? Because so many of us, our experiences that, you know, if somebody loves us, we're like, okay, now, now I, I owe them or I do something for somebody. And, and you know, we keep a tally of the things that we do. And Peter's saying, when you love people from the heart, there's no strings because you know God is going to take care of you. God will take care of you. If you know that God's going to take care of you, Aren't you so much more willing to sacrifice and stretch for others? And the times when I'm not, I'm not focusing on God and how he's going to take it. I'm focusing on me and am I going to have what I need? And so Peter is saying is we can live differently. And then by living differently, we can love deeply. And he's describing this different cadence to the kind of life that we can have. He's describing this atmosphere that people can experience. It's kind of like in Southern California and, you know, in our summers and it gets hot. You ever been to a mall, maybe an outdoor mall, and you go into a store and you're outside and you're kind of sweating, you're hot and you go into the store and the air conditioning is on and it's like refreshing. Or maybe you've been cold and that's happened maybe one time in your life in Southern California and you go into the store and they have the heater on. You're like, oh, man, that, that, that feels good. It's comforting. That's what Peter's describing. It's this atmosphere that's rooted in the identity in Christ, which it changes the experience people have. And it starts with how we live our life. So I want to encourage you. How can you live differently and how can you love deeply this week? And encourage you to, to think about that. There's, there's some next steps that you can take. So as I, as I close out, I encourage you to take a next step. So pull out that connection card that Jeremy had you fill out. And go ahead. E- each week we, we ask you to fill this out. This helps us connect with you. It helps us pray for you. And so even if you fill this out every week, you're like, I just want to take a week off. I encourage you, fill it out and put it in the offering as that comes by. So complete that. And there's three next steps that you can take. The first is... Thank God for his sacrificial love and grace daily this week. For me, I need to keep that at the the forefront. That's Peter. Set your hope on the grace. Just decide when you wake up each morning before you grab your phone, before you engage in a conversation with anyone else. Thank God for the sacrifice that he's made. If you don't yet know God, wake up and decide, say, God, I don't know if you're real. Would you show me that you are? That's a way that you can begin to engage. Like, is this thing real? I encourage you to do that. The second is be sober minded as I face 
blank. So is there an area in your life where you tend to get intoxicated by wrong thinking? Is it in a relationship? Is it as you deal with your future, your past, your finances, your work, your studies, whatever it is? Pinpoint that area where you tend to trip up. You get impaired. And then pray that God will help you in that this week. And then the last is a sacrifice and stretch as I relate to blank. I encourage you. There's people here that need to experience being loved deeply. And they may have never experienced it before. And so there's an opportunity that we have in this church to love people deeply. And so just look around you. Who's somebody that you could stretch and extend yourself to, toward, to love? And so pray about that. If you don't have a name, this week as you wake up, pray about that. And ask God to give you a name that, that you can write down. So I encourage you, take one of those steps. If you drop that in the offering, I will pray uh, for you this week uh, as you take uh, that next step. Let's pray together as the band comes up. Father, again, we, we thank you for the fact that you are holy and you're set apart. And because of that, we can live differently. We can experience a new type of life because you give us this, this new birth and this new identity. God, if there's any area in us right now where we're just overwhelmed by wrong thinking, will you just pinpoint just some of the thoughts that we need to fight against? Give us the steps to just roll our sleeves up to battle that. And God, we, we, we ask that you'll help us prepare our minds for action and If there's just people around us that we need to love with a sincere love or people that we need to love sincerely and extend ourselves for, will you just give give us their name just that we could extend that and just help us to open our eyes to see the people around us? God, you have given us a chance to change the world by the life and the love that you've given us. So God, help us to see how we can do that this week in the relationships in the arenas of our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.